Amen. Good morning, everybody. Hello, my name is Lindsay. Thank you for introducing me already. Um, I am John's wife, our, our campus pastor, our amazing, I'm not biased, campus pastor. And um, I'm really excited to be sharing with you today. Uh, you know, I'm, I don't, I'm not on staff here, but John and I did serve together before we moved to Grand Rapids um, on the east side of Michigan at a church together. And uh, we got to share the platform a number of times. John would preach, and I would preach, John would preach, I would preach. And you might be wondering, you know, with two Gorvettes kind of going back to back, husband and wife, if anybody ever like chose their favorite, one of us, you know, who was the better preacher? And the answer is yes, absolutely. And um, I would encourage you as I'm sharing today to do the same thing. Let me know after certain. Just kidding. I'm just kidding. Um, but I, I am excited to be up here. John and I have lived in Michigan coming up on five years now, which is insane. We moved here. January 10th, right after we got married, two weeks after we got married. And, um, but I'm not from Michigan. John sort of is, but I'm not. Um, I'm from New Jersey, and I don't have the accent, but sometimes when I'm angry, John says it comes out a little bit more. Um, but I grew up kind of closer to Pennsylvania, so that's why I say I don't really have the accent. And I, I lived in the same house my whole life. And when I was two years old, my mom and dad put a pool, an underground pool in at our house, which just paved the way for the most incredible summers ever. You know, I'd wake up, first thing we would do, I'm the oldest of four kids. So I have three younger siblings, two brothers and one sister. And that's what we would do. As soon as we'd wake up in the summer, we would just go down to the pool. That was all we wanted to do from when we woke up to when we went to bed. And when, when we would have friends over so there'd be other adults, my mom would sometimes leave us down at the pool, of course, you know, with adult supervision, and would go up to the house and would get snacks for us so that we didn't even have to leave the pool. We could get out of the pool, have a snack, you know, eat it, and then go back in the pool. Never waited 30 minutes, always was fine, never died, proof that you don't necessarily have to do that. And, um, and so like I said, I'm the oldest, so one day I'm feeling independent. You know, if you're the oldest in the room, you know, there's just this little sense of like, I'm kind of also a parent, even though, you know, I was nine, but I'm like, I'm going to go up to the house and I'm going to make the snack. And I'm not going to tell my mom I'm doing it. I'm just going to say, oh, I have to go up to the house for something and come back down with something incredible. So I told her that, go up to the house and I decide I'm going to make brownies. Now, you know, it's July or August or whatever. It's like 85 degrees outside. What's better than a warm, gooey brownie, you know, on a hot summer day? And I, I get the stuff out. I get the box brownie out. I'm so excited. I'm putting everything together. And um, I'm so excited that I don't taste the brownie uh, mix, which, number one, was very unusual for me. And number two, also eventually led to my downfall. And I put them in, and I let them cook, and I took them out. It looked a little bit different, but I thought, you know, it's, it's probably just I rushed it or I'm, I'm, you know, a little nervous. I tasted them on the, way, on the way back down to the pool, and there was something wrong with the brownies. But I'm thinking, you know, I'm still super encouraged and have high expectations for these brownies, and I think maybe I'm just the perfectionist in me as being a little too hard on myself. I'm sure that they're totally fine. Um, my mom was not as graceful because she tasted them, and she's like, these are disgusting. <laughs> there is something seriously wrong with these brownies. What did you do? By that point, the expectation that I had that I was going to, you know, make this incredible snack for my family had been shot. You know, the expectation was met with this harsh reality that I had failed. But I didn't know what was wrong, so I said, I did exactly 
what I've watched you do over and over and over again. I took the mix, I put it in a bowl, I put a cup of water, I put two eggs, and put a half a cup of vinegar. I learned that day vinegar and oil are two different things. Half a cup of vinegar and half a cup of oil make a dramatic difference in how brownies turn out. And in that moment, I had totally failed. The expectation was met with this reality that you know, was not what I wanted it to be. And we've all been there, maybe with something with cooking, maybe with, we were just talking last week about haircuts, going to the hairdresser and saying, this is what I want my hair to look like, and then it turning out completely different. Or ordering something online as we're doing Christmas shopping. John and I just ordered um, something for his sister and almost ordered a pillowcase instead of a full pillow, you know, and that would have been an expectation reality mismatch. We thought something was going to, we were going to get something and we actually got something else. And those are fine. Like we, we move past those things pretty quickly, but then there's other things that are a little bit more intense or um, more, more life changing. You know, we think that our marriage is going to go one direction and it doesn't go that direction. And our expectation is high, but it falls short. We think that uh, we're gonna get into a certain school or we're going to get a certain job or we're going to make a certain amount of money and here we are 10 or 15 or 20 years later and we still haven't gotten to that point. Uh, we think that our health is going to be a certain way or our family's health or our friend's health is going to be a certain way and then it goes the opposite way and as we're praying for it to get better, it actually gets worse. And in those tougher moments, in those moments that are a little bit more intense than just messing up a brownie recipe, it's hard for us not to maybe blame God for that to think that God has done something or we've done something to deserve that God has failed our expectations, that we had this, this hope for this good and perfect life and, and time after time it just seems like we're failing. We're not getting to where we need to be and it's hard to reconcile that. And today I wanna to talk about a story in the Bible and it's the culmination of the biggest unmet expectation in the history of scripture and maybe in all of history and that is the story of the birth of Jesus which sounds a little bit weird for me to say that that was an unmet expectation or a failure, but hear me out with this because Israel, the people of God, have been waiting for a savior for hundreds and hundreds, I'm not exaggerating, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. Ever since, even back to Genesis, the first book of the Bible, they are waiting for somebody to come and save them because they have just had a rough time in this whole, in their whole experience. They have been brought into slavery, they've been abused, they've been abandoned out in the wilderness, they've been chased through a sea, they've been um, wanting and they've mistrusted God and then trusted God and then mistrusted him again. And all the while, God is prophesying, he's sending people who are saying, hey, I'm going to send you a Messiah. I'm gonna send somebody to make all of this better and to take you out of this bondage that you're in and to bring you into freedom. But all the while, Israel's going in and out of trusting and untrusting God mistrusting God. And if I can think of a video, a nine second thing that would maybe sum up what Israel's experiencing, it would be this one. I saw that on Facebook the other day and I was like, that is exactly what Israel was going through and maybe what 
on a literal level what some of us have been going through and will be going through this winter, but they just can't get a handle on it. They're constantly kind of up and then falling back down and then kind of, you know, doing this and trying to use their shovel to, to sustain them and keep them, but it just continually they continually keep slipping and falling and they can't get a hold of it. They need somebody to walk up to them like that guy did. Instead of the person just shamelessly videotaping them, he needed some, or they needed somebody to physically come and take them and move them off of the ice and onto solid ground and say, I've got you. I've moved you from this weird flux that you're in right now and I've put you in, um, in a secure place. And that's where we find Israel. So it's been taking hundreds of years for them to get there waiting for this Messiah, waiting for this person that God said is going to come. And then we find ourselves in Luke chapter 2. So I'm going to read Luke 2, verses 4 through 12. It's the story of Jesus, and it's uh, one you're probably familiar with, but reading out of the New International Version, it says this. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth to Galilee in Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, because there was no guest room available for them. Then it moves to a different scene, and there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified, naturally. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. I think, this is a funny, I think this is a funny scene because we've heard this story a lot. Whether you've been in church for five minutes or 50 years, you've probably heard this story in some way, shape, or form. And it starts out pretty chill. You know, Mary and Joseph go to this town, to Bethlehem. It's about 80 miles away, according to, to some people who would have judged that distance. And, you know, while they're there, the time comes for the baby to be born. And since everybody's coming into town for this census that was being taken, there was no room for them. They didn't book on um, hot wire early enough so they had to sleep in this barn and they had this baby and they put him in a manger. And then it goes out to this field where there's just these random shepherds and there's no light pollution from the city so it's pitch black out there and they're just out there watching their sheep at night and all of a sudden an angel appears. There's this bright light, the glory of the Lord. You can imagine how bright this light was. And he says, I bring you good news. He says, what you've been waiting for, what hundreds and hundreds of years of your generations of ancestors, people were born and lived and died before they saw this prophet fulfilled. And now it's happening. It's happening here today. The Messiah, the Savior, the Lord is born, which is amazing. And then the next sentence, also, he's a baby and he's wearing diapers and he's not going to um, be able to feed himself for a couple years. And, um, you know, he was born to a 13-year-old girl uh, who's unmarried and he's in a barn. And you know, Israel's been waiting for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, and if I can put myself in the shoes of an Israelite in that moment, or 
uh, one of those people in that moment, I'd say that maybe they were a little bit disappointed that maybe there was an unmet expectation there in that moment because they're expecting this ruler, this king, to come and just bring revenge on the people who've done them wrong and instead it's a baby? What's that about? What's that, what does that feel like? What, is a, what does a person in that moment feel like knowing that the king that they've been waiting for comes as this meek and lowly and not well-respected um, person in the form of, of a baby like that? It must have been disappointing and it must have been a little bit frustrating. And I can, I can empathize with that. I mean, we've all had those moments, I said it earlier, when we're disappointed, when something happens that we're not expecting, when we have unmet expectations, we feel like maybe God has failed us. When I was 17, I graduated high school and I was planning to go to Virginia, you know, I lived in New Jersey at the time, uh, to study equestrian studies. I've been riding horses since I was eight years old, and that's what I wanted to do with my life, and I'd never really considered that there was another plan, because that's what I wanted. Um, but when I was 17, I graduated and had this moment with God, this moment of clarity where he said, I, I actually want you to do something totally different. Instead of going four hours south to school to study that, I want you to go 13 hours north to a little Bible college in Sussex, New Brunswick, Canada, and I want you to study ministry, and I want you to serve me with your life. And um, when God gives you that moment of clarity, it's you have to say yes. Some of you might have had those moments. You just have to say yes. You can't say no. So I did that, and I'm the first, I'm the oldest, so leaving my family was kind of a big deal, especially to go that far away, but I trusted God, and I said, you know, you're going to take care of my family while I'm gone, and you're going to take care of my three siblings, you're going to take care of my parents, and, and everything's going to be fine. Everything was fine for the first couple of years, and then in April of um, 2012, it was a Monday night, and I got a call from my mom, and she said, you know, your dad and I are getting divorced. And after 23 years of marriage, you know, he's moving out and life is going to look dramatically different than it looked when you, came, when you left for school in January. It's going to look dramatically different than, than when you're coming home. And, excuse me, I, I know in that moment the expectation that I had for God to take care of my family felt like it was gone. Like I had had this expectation and it was met with this reality that nothing was ever going to be the same. And I was hurt and I was angry at God because I said, I, I gave you my life. You know, I've given you everything and I've left my family and this is what you do. You know, this is what you've done. I imagine that that's how Israel felt. We gave you our lives. We've trusted you for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years and now you give us this. This is our Messiah. That doesn't seem like what we wanted the sermon title today is Unmet Expectations. And when we were talking about how this would look and, and what the general idea of the sermon would be is what do we do when God doesn't meet our expectations? And as I was studying this passage, you know, this Luke 2, 4 through 12 passage, I realized that God didn't fail Israel. God did exactly what he said he was going to do. Okay, because when we look back in the passage, when we look back at the prophecies, remember the things that uh, God gave the Israelites in the Old Testament, the things that he said that he was going to do, there was a lot about bringing justice, there was a lot about bringing restoration and, and freeing them, but there was also a lot that said exactly what was in this passage. And there's a slide uh, that's going to go up just a couple different 
A couple different ways that God worked in this passage and did exactly what he said he was going to do. So in chapter, in verse four, you know, they go to Bethlehem and in Micah, it says, out of Bethlehem will be born the king, will be born the ruler. This is 700, 800, 900 years ago. God is giving this word to the prophet Micah saying he is going to come out of Bethlehem. Then later in our passage, it says Mary gives birth to a son. And twice in, in Isaiah, in the book of Isaiah, it says, this is how you'll know that Jesus is the Messiah, that he's here. He will be born to a virgin and his name will be Emmanuel. Even the fact that the, um, even the fact that the angels appeared to the shepherds is significant because in Isaiah 40, it says that Jesus will be a shepherd. He will be a shepherd to the sheep, meaning us. He will guide us and care for us and love us. When the angel says, I'll bring you good news that will bring great joy for all the people, there are prophecies in Isaiah that say not only will the good news be for Israel, but it will be for all people, which is something that not everybody had thought about. And so when we look at what was happening in the Old Testament, we can see God didn't fail. God did exactly what he said he was going to do. So what does that mean then? Why was Israel disappointed if God did exactly what he said he was going to do? The interesting thing, it comes back to the whole concept of the brownies. You know, when I made those brownies, the instructions were right there in front of me. The instructions were clear as day on the back of that box, and I wasn't paying attention because I was so focused on the end goal. I was so focused on getting them done and doing something and having people be proud of me and giving people something that I didn't pay attention to the ingredients, and so I missed one. I missed a key ingredient, and as a result, they tasted gross. And here's the thing, Israel was so waiting for this ruler. They were so waiting for this king to come and bring dominance and bring justice and bring revenge on the people who had wronged them that they missed some of the most important prophecies that were right there in front of them the entire time. Israel wanted this king, this ruler who was going to bring them from freedom to bondage physically. They wanted a king like everybody else. It says it in Judges, give us a king like everybody else has. Give us somebody like everybody else has who's going to give us what we want. And that's an earthly expectation to want something that the world has. But what God did is he gave them a ruler who moved them from freedom to bondage spiritually and thus eternally. And he gave them something that no one else had. And so when we have these earthly expectations of God, when we have this expectation that God is going to give us what we want based on what the earth has, we will always be disappointed. But when we put our eternal expectations on God based on what we know he's done, based on what he's doing, and based on what we know he's going to do, God will always, always exceed those expectations. See, when the whole thing happened with my mom and my dad and, and my parents, and that was just the start. That was just the start of a, a long road of, of hurt and of, of um, you know, pain and relational dissonance and all these things that were happening. And it hurt for a long time. And there were moments where I really did feel like God had abandoned me, that God had left me. But 
looking back, it's been six years now, I can see that you know, God didn't leave me and the expectation that I had for God to do good things and for God to take care of my family, he didn't fail those because it wasn't God's fault that my parents got divorced. That was the brokenness in this world. That's the things in this world that are, are beyond our own control. But God can redeem those situations because he's brought me a really great step family as my mom got remarried. He's brought me an incredible in-law family John's family has been a support and an incredible resource for me. And he's brought about restoration in those broken relationships, relationships that I thought were beyond repair, that were beyond what could be fixed and what could be, what could be um, mended. And so as we're thinking about this eternal and earthly expectation, we need to be thinking about how when we're, when we're putting those earthly expectations on God, when we're expecting our job to be perfect, when we're expecting our family to be perfect or our health to be perfect, remembering that that is like putting vinegar in brownies every single time. Every single time we're going to think it's gonna be better this time and it's not gonna be better this time. I can promise you it's not going to be better this t- that time. It's gonna taste gross every single time. It's gonna leave a bad taste in our mouth. And it's gonna leave us disappointed. But every time that we choose to live Listen to what God says in his word. Every time we choose to put oil in and we choose to do the right thing and we choose to listen to the truth of God's word, we will always have a good result and we will always see that God is faithful and that God exceeds and goes beyond all of our expectations. And so what does that mean for us? What does it mean to have earthly expectations versus eternal expectations? The reason why Israel missed it, the reason why people missed the word is because they weren't paying attention, because they didn't know the word of God. I work, I don't work on staff here, I work on staff at Never the Same. It's an organization that we're closely connected with as a church because we attend NTS camp every summer and that's a camp that I'm a part of and I I get to travel with. But my main job there is uh, the director of Bible engagement. That's my official title. And that title means that I work with students and help them to learn how to read the Bible. And I think of no better way, and it says in scripture there's no better way for us to know the word of God and to know his plans than to be reading it on a regular basis and to be immersed in it daily. That's how we understand the eternal truths. If we listen to the world for our expectations, that's like putting vinegar in brownies. Reading the word of God is like the oil that we need to get the recipe that we need to go the way that we need to go. And so I would encourage you to be reading daily in the Word and be doing exactly, exactly that. Um, I was preparing for this sermon this week and, uh, and in, in the weeks before, and I was just thinking about what God would want me to say and how he would want us to end our time together. And I know I haven't shared for a long time, but I want to leave space at the end to really reflect on this. And I was thinking about a song, and I thought, oh man, that would be a great song. That would be a really great song to sing and to to end our time together. But then I thought, it's Monday, and Brendan has probably already picked all of the songs. And then I went into our um, planning center, and that song was in the exact end. And I thought it was God. Turns out John and Brendan talked, and John told him, John told him, I was like, oh my gosh, that's so God. And then Brendan's like, yeah, John and I talked and he told me what your sermon was about and he put it in there. But I'm still gonna go with the fact that it was the Lord. Maybe the Lord spoke through John and told him to do this. And, um, and it's a song called Do It Again. And so as we're going into this Christmas season, there's a lot of things that we realize 
uh, that we have expectations of, of God. And especially going into this Christmas season, as I'm navigating, you know, to be perfectly honest, I'm navigating how to visit three families in a week. You know, when one lives in New York, one lives in New Jersey, and one lives in Indiana. And we're figuring out how do we do all that travel and the frustration of, man, this would be easier if it was just two families, if it was just John's family and my whole family, rather than my dad and my step family and John's family all over the place navigating that. Maybe it's, you know, even financial as we're going into this and we have family members who can provide more than we can provide for our kids. And that's just a weird place to be in. There's these expectations that we have that we've maybe put on God. And so as we sing this song, it's all about the faithfulness of God. I've seen you move. I believe you'll do it again. Your promise still stands. Great is your faithfulness, your faithfulness. Um, you know, your, the confidence that I have is you've never failed me yet. And I believe that as we're singing this, just to be reflecting on what that expectation is that you have in your life, that maybe you've had an earthly perspective on rather than an eternal perspective, thinking I want God to do this because it will benefit me rather than I want God to be this in that situation because I know he has been and I know he always will be. And so there's no need to sing if you don't wanna sing, you don't have to stand if you don't wanna stand. You can do whatever you want, but just be thinking about what that expectation is and worship, worship into that. So as we sing, would you respond? <laughs> 